Welcome to the Kanoi Church Podcast. We're glad that you're interested in connecting through this teaching time. If you'd like to connect further, feel free to reach out to us through our website, kanoichurch.org. For now, enjoy this teaching from Kanoi Church, where our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Good morning. I always write that at the top of my notes to make sure I say it, because I am so thankful for these mornings. It is a good morning when we are together. Well, we are on our second to last core value of the Brethren in Christ denomination. And if you're a guest with us today, you might be asking yourself, why are we talking about these core values? And the answer to that is because Kanoi Church is a part of a larger family of churches called the Brethren in Christ denomination. And it is important for us to know our roots. It's important for us to know our family, to know where we came from, to know what we believe. And so we're talking about these core values as a way to reintroduce the denomination to all of us who gather together on a weekly basis and call ourselves the community of Kanoi Church. Now, one thing to know is our 250th birthday as a denomination is coming up very soon. And um, over that 250 years, the Brethren of Christ have had several things that have influenced who we are. Things like Anabaptism, Wesleyanism, Pietism, and Evangelicalism. All of these things kind of, kind of create our DNA, make us who we are. And we really were kind of struggling to describe ourselves. Like when people asked us, what, who are the brethren in Christ? What do they believe? The answer that people would often give was, well, we're kind of like the Mennonites in this way. We're kind of like the Baptists in this. We're kind of like, and we didn't really have our own identity. So in 1999, they gathered together a bunch of men and women of all ages, races, creeds, and they they, um, they brought them together and said, can you look at who the brethren in Christ are, all these influences over the years, and help us um, determine what our core values are? And these 10 core values came out of that conversation. Now, one of the things that I have so appreciated, and you should know, for me, I have been brethren in Christ, uh, I was born into it, all right? I went through a time where I thought, brethren in Christ is not for me. I'm kind, of, I'm kind of done with the brethren in Christ. And it was related to certain churches and certain things that I'd experienced at those. And I think every young person goes through a time where they decide to kind of figure out who they are and where they're coming from. Uh, but I decided that actually the brethren in Christ was for me. I went to a professor and I said, look, I'm thinking about getting out of this thing. Can you give me information on who the brethren in Christ are? And he handed me this like thick book. And he's like, here, just read this. <laughs> Thanks. I did read it. And it actually, for me, it actually helped me come back to and say, you know what? I do believe these things. This is where I stand. And so I have not only been born into it, but I've made a choice that this is my family and this is my home. Um, one of the things that I've found over a lifetime of being part of the Brethren in Christ and also attending a variety of different churches is that there is a freedom of expression from church to church. Our 10 core values unite us together. They help describe who we are. But there's a different expression here at Kanoi, Brethren in Christ Church, than say, Elizabethtown Brethren in Christ Church, which is only four and a half miles away, right? And it's a different expression there than it is over at Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church, or Encounter, which is in Palmyra, or in Kansas or California, where we have Brethren in Christ Church. There's a freedom of expression, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And what it means is, we don't all come at the core values the same way. 
okay? We don't all exactly describe them the same way or explain them the same way. In fact, I think our brothers and sisters in Palmyra were just going through a similar series. And if you were to go online and listen to their series on the core values, they're probably gonna share some things I didn't share or teach in a way that I didn't teach about them, which is a beautiful thing. But what that also means is that there are times that we're going to disagree. And I've said this throughout the series, disagreement is okay. We wanna be a people that can disagree well because that's gonna show the world a better face of Jesus than if we disagree in part ways. Um, some of you guys might remember when I first came to the church, there was a, 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 a bio that was passed out about me, about my family, about my background, things I'm involved in. And one of the things that I'm involved in is something called Awaken. And Awaken is a, a Brethren in Christ network for women in ministry because our denomination affirms women in ministry at all levels of leadership, which means that we do have some churches that have women pastors. We've even been lucky enough to have a woman as a bishop at one point. And that's something that our denomination takes really seriously. On Friday, I was at a study conference with Awaken and the Brother in Christ denomination where we had a bunch of speakers come in and they're speaking about this women in ministry. And during the lunch, there was a breakout session and there was a, a pastor in the room who was sharing that he would love to talk more about this with his congregation. But he thinks that if he brought this up, 80% of his congregation would leave. 80%. So that would be, I mean, imagine a full sanctuary this morning, two of our sections getting out of here over an issue, over a theological issue. That would be so sad. And what he was asking is, he's like, what should I do? I really believe that God pours his Holy Spirit out on men and women, not just on men. How do I talk about that if my congregation's gonna split up over it? And that got me thinking. I had a conversation with him and I wanted to share some of what I shared with him with you because as we come at these core values, and it's not just our core values, but every week we have a sermon and every week we talk about something and it's totally possible that you wanna go, uh-uh, no way, don't believe it, not a part of it. It's totally possible that any sermon can make you disagree. So what do we do when we disagree? And so here's what I told him. I said, there's a couple of things I think we should keep in mind. One is educate. First, what we have to do is show people, is we are teach people that there is a new way. That's with any topic, right? This is when you're in the workplace. This is with your family. This is when you're talking to somebody about Jesus for the very first time. The first thing you have to do is tell them there's a new way. The next thing you have to do is be an example. You have to show them that there is a new way, right? So you teach them, you show them, and the last thing is time. You have to give them time to process what they're hearing and what they're seeing. We can't rush people into buying exactly what we believe. Give them time, be patient with them. It's very easy for us to be impatient with our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family when they don't believe exactly what we believe. We wanna rush them and push them and lay our beliefs on them so that they come and they believe what we believe. Give them time. Teach them about a new way. Show them a new way. And then give them time to figure out how the new way fits for them. And I hope that you understand that this is something that I'm doing my best to be with all of you. As we talk about some of these topics that I know have not been brought up in a long time, 
I know that some of them are harder to hear and engage with than others. And so I hope you understand that I'm doing my best to teach as best as I know how, that I'm doing my very best to lead an example, knowing and hoping that we're all on the same page, that my example is so imperfect, but trying my best and also giving you chance to process what you're hearing, time to try and figure out if you're in or not. We're a family here at Kanoi Church, and we are a family in the brethren in Christ. And I sincerely hope as we come to the end of this series that you choose to be a part of this family. But in choosing to be a part of the family, I don't want you to question or wonder or not be sure, what do we stand for? That's what this series has been all about. And that's why we're gonna have membership classes as well. That as we've gone through this series, if you said, you know what? I can make my church about this, these things. I'm about these things too. I wanna join in with a family that stands for these core values. And there's a sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center where you can sign up and you can be a part of our membership classes. And I wanna invite every single person to be a part of that. I think that the brethren in Christ has something that they can give the world, the world needs. And as today we talk about this core value, core value is living simply, and the subtext says we value uncluttered lives, which free us to love boldly, give generously, and serve joyfully. I personally think that the world is already leaning in this direction in so many ways. Maybe some of you are familiar with a woman named Marie Kondo. Have anybody here, any hands for Marie Kondo? Marie Kondo has a television show where she teaches people how to organize their houses and get rid of their stuff, even the stuff that they don't wanna get rid of for so, so long. She teaches them how to say goodbye to those things. So I think living simply is important already. We live in a world where we have people who are giving up their big houses and they're moving into tiny houses. Have you guys seen the TV shows about tiny houses? Did you know that there's even a development over on uh, Schaefer Road or Schwanger Road for tiny houses? The world already is seeing like less is more. I think that we have a lot to say in this world about living simply. And especially when we live in a world where we have big name, famous pastors who have mansions and private jets and wear $1,000 sneakers. I think living simply has a lot to say, which is why it's important for us to talk about that. Now, I wanna to admit too, we live in a complicated life, a complicated world. And I made a list in order to kind of engage this idea of living simply, I came at it from the back door. I said, all right, what do we do to make life complicated? And so I've made a list of 10 things that we do to make life complicated. Number one, we try to do way too much. Overcommitting is one of the biggest mistakes that people make. It's tempting to fill every single waking second of the day with a to-do list of tasks and directions. And I'll admit, I've not always been good at this. I have a Google Calendar, if any of you know what a Google Calendar is. It's on my phone, all right? And so on my phone, I would set up my calendar and I would say, okay, what do I have to do today? And the beginning of every day, I'd go through my list of things and I'd say, okay, I have to have this conversation with somebody. I think it's gonna take 30 minutes. I put a 30 minute block in with that person's name. All right, I gotta do this task, this office paperwork. I think it's gonna take me about an hour. There's an hour block. And I would just block up every moment of my entire day. 
And one of the things I realized when I was talking with a, f- a fellow pastor, a friend of mine, he was sharing with me some of these really cool conversations that he has that are unplanned. People just knock on his door. I'm like, how do you have time for that? Like, I don't have time for people to knock on my door. I've got things to do. And he said, well, I build space into my schedule to have margin so that I have time to do those things. And I was like, oh, man, that's a good idea. Maybe I shouldn't pack out every single minute of the day. Now, and I'll be honest with you, too, maybe this is you. Maybe you fall into this category and your schedule is that packed out every single day. And I will, I will admit this to you. I hurt the people closest to me when that was the life I was living. For my family that wants to stop by my office and say hi to dad, I don't have time for that because I got this meeting and that meeting. Or if they want me to come home for lunch, I don't have time for that. I didn't plan for it. Sorry, I, I've already built these things into my schedule. And so the people that suffered the most with an incredibly busy schedule of overcommitting myself, of trying to do way too much, are the people I love the very most. And so perhaps that's a word to you this morning is to consider the schedule that you're keeping. Number two, We try to control way too much. There's a lot of things in this life that are outside of your control. And if you can't admit that, life is going to be really, really hard. We tend to try and control so much that the things that at one time brought us joy now take life away from us. So if you are sitting here this morning where there was once something that you immensely enjoyed in your life, but now that thing does not bring you joy, perhaps there's a control issue. Perhaps there are things you have to admit are outside of your control. Number three, we respond with negativity. A positive attitude is not just a reaction to the way things are. It's an expression of what is deep inside of you. Jesus talks about this in Luke when he says that you can tell a lot about the tree when you look at the fruit that comes from the tree. So if Jesus came in and he picked up your fruit, what would he be learning about the tree that is you? What fruit is in your life? Is it negative? Is it nasty? Is it positive and caring, compassionate? You can tell a lot about the tree by looking at the fruit that it bears. Number four, We seek constant validation from others, constantly. We're looking to impress others, please others, be validated in what we do and why we do it and how we do it by the people around us. The validation, if you need it, should come from God. Not the people beside you or around you or the people that have been speaking negative things into you. Don't be scared to walk down the path that's less traveled. That's often God's path. Number five, we spend way too much time with toxic people. Way too much time with toxic people. We've said it before in our teaching time on Sunday mornings, but hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. If you spend enough time with hurting people, you become one who is hurting, and good chances are you may be hurting the others around you. We need to stop spending so much time with toxic people. And I'm not trying to tell you don't engage with people who need to be engaged with by positive people. I'm saying if you are only engaging with people who are toxic, you're probably going to have a problem. We need to stop surrounding ourselves with people who suck us into things that we don't want to be a part of. 
You have more control over who you are than many of us want to admit. You want to be a person who supports women more? Then stop hanging out with people who put women down or make women jokes. You want to stop gossiping? Stop hanging out with a line of people that constantly gossip. You want to stop drinking every weekend? Stop hanging out with people that are drinking every weekend. This is my favorite. People that come and tell me how hurt they are by something on Facebook. I made this post and this person commented on it. Did you know your computer has an off button? <laughs> you can choose to walk away from it. You have that power. It is that simple. Choose to get off of Facebook. Choose to not hang out with people that are toxic to you, that are dragging you into a place that you don't want to be. A little bit like this one is our next one, number six. We feed into the drama. Don't participate in drama. This is a way we complicate our lives. This is not living simply. We feed into the drama. Don't make tough situations tougher. It's not helpful to you. It's not helpful to anyone else. Don't spread gossip. Don't judge someone else just because they made different mistakes than you made. Instead, remember that you made mistakes too so you can be filled with grace and compassion. You can choose to see the good in other people. You have that power. Number seven, we constantly worry about our problems. We are filled with worry all the time. Do you know that 40 million adults in the U.S. are affected by anxiety disorders? 40 million. Worry, and joy, worry steals your joy. Anxiety steals your joy. And rather than moving from point A to point B, it keeps you spinning in circles over and over. I love that Jesus urges us to ask the question, hey, can any one of you add a single hour to your life by worrying? No. And Jesus urges us to trust in God the Father. Doesn't he take care of the sparrows? And don't you think you mean more to him than the sparrows? Trust in God. And I'm not just saying that. I mean it every day. Trust in God. That's a choice you get to make. Is today a day where I'm going to trust him with the things that are coming up, with the things that fill me with fear and anxiety and frustration? Will I lay those at the feet of Jesus? Will I come before him? And rather than complain to my neighbor, will I come before Jesus and say, I am filled with anxiety and stress over this thing. God, help me. Please help me. We need to be people that go to our knees with our anxiety and our stresses. Number eight, we hold on too tightly to so many things that don't matter. I think this is where a person like me can learn a lot from folks who are older than me. Because I think the older you get, you often begin to understand that there are things in life that just don't matter, right? right? I was at my mom's house the other day. My son was driving this little power wheel tractor, and he wanted to drive it through a door, just a regular door. And I thought, that's not happening. And my mom was like, sure, go ahead. As he went through the door, he banged off both sides of the door. He bent the little garage door opener that was near it. And I'm like, and, and she just smiled as he went through. And I'm like, you know, if that was me, there's no way I would have gotten away with that. And she's like, I know, I just don't care about those things anymore. 
See, as we get older, our perspective begins to change, doesn't it? We begin to realize what actually matters and what doesn't matter. We hold on too tightly to so many things and we're not willing to change. We're not willing to accept that change is coming and sometimes change can be good. I'm not saying it's not hard and I'm not saying that the old way wasn't better. Perhaps it was, but give us a chance to figure it out. Sometimes we have to make mistakes on our own too. It's hard for us to do that if there are people always fighting and holding too tightly to things that just don't matter. Number nine, this is a huge one. We're not present. A way that life is complicated, a way that we don't live simply is that we aren't present. Even when we gather together on a Sunday morning, we're often found scrolling, checking, our Facebook and our Instagram, checking to make sure we didn't miss an email or a message on our phone. We aren't present. We're always concerned with what might be happening somewhere else, elsewhere. You know, in 2017, there was a study done of 1,200 teens, teenagers, so 12 to 17, I think this study was, wasn't 18 year olds. And um, they found that more than half of them, over 50% were addicted to their phones. I'm sure that's not news to you, right? but I want you to hear me here. We didn't have phones when I was growing up, like in your pocket that we carry around with us, all right? We had to worry about it being addicted to things like drugs and smoking and drinking and you know, those sort of things. The kids that are growing up today, they're addicted to the things that they carry around in their pockets that they use to call and text and message each other, the things that help them stay connected. We're addicted to screens. Over 50% addicted to screens. Maybe you're somebody sitting here right now and you have an iPhone in your pocket. You know, on average, iPhone users unlock their phones 80 times a day. Think you got 80 calls a day? Probably not. If you're an Android user, on average, you unlock your phone 110 times a day. Do you remember when you just had a house phone? I remember. How often did you check your house phone? just when it rang, right? This sort of, these sort of things, and again, I'm not against technology. I have a phone in my pocket right now. I'm an iPhone user, so I'm doing it 80 times a day on average, right? I'm not against technology, so I'm not telling you should be against technology too. What I'm saying is that this has really led to an interesting thing called FOMO. Now, I know that Pastor Al introduced you to the word goat. G-O-A-T. Can anybody remember what Pastor Al told you that G-O-A-T meant? This is a quiz. Man, I'm going to call Al. I'm going to tell him. You guys forgot. No one? Goat. Meant greatest of all time. Okay, do you guys remember that now? I've got a new one for you this morning. FOMO. F-O-M-O. Anybody know what that means? Thank you. I don't even know where that came from, but fear of missing out. That is absolutely right. So the Psychology Association of America hasn't made this an official diagnosis, but what they have said is that FOMO is a very real thing and that there are many real things that lead to it and it causes. FOMO is fear of missing out. It is literally a worry. It's an anxiety that there's something exciting or interesting happening somewhere else that you're missing out on. It's a reason why it's really hard for especially young people to commit to things until the very last minute because they want to make sure that they go to the best thing, the most fun thing, the thing that interests them to most. Because what if they commit to coming to a church campfire 
And then they find out on the same night, oh, there's something else better going on they want to go to more. So they wait to the last moment to commit to things. FOMO, it's a very real thing. Our addiction to screens and technology are leading us into this sort of thing. It's a lack of being present. It's a worry about better things elsewhere. Number 10, our last one. We compare ourselves to others who seem better off. We compare ourselves to others who seem better off. I know nobody here struggles with that, right? We never compare ourselves to anybody else. When I was a young man, I used to race cars. Uh, My family would drag race. And so just about every weekend, I was at the racetrack racing cars. And um, I never had the nicest car or the fastest car. And I I have uh, very vivid memories of, of being there in the lanes waiting to go onto the racetrack and looking at whoever I was going to race and looking at their car. Oh, the nice paint job. It's newer than mine. It's a bigger engine than mine. They're probably faster than me. And thinking there's no way that I could probably win this race. And my father was my crew chief. And I remember, I don't know if he knew that this was what was going on in my head, but he would come over and he would lean down and he would grab my helmet and pull my helmet right to his face. I couldn't see anything else. I couldn't see the racetrack. I couldn't see the people I was racing. Nothing. All I could see was him. And he would say, Nick, run your own race. Don't worry about them. Run your own race. Run your own race. Don't compare your chapter one with somebody else's chapter 10. Not in a spiritual sense. Not in a financial sense. None of it. Run your race. Let's not give in to a culture of competition. That's not the point of this life. Run your race. Let God speak into your race. Focus on what you have to do. And stop worrying about what others need to do. Life is complicated. And this is why I think we need to talk about living simply. And there's four things I want to talk about, and then we're going to wrap up. The first one is our schedules, and then our possessions, our speech, and our church. Okay? That gives you an idea of the things I'm going to tackle this morning. In case you were worried this whole time, I was going to tell you to go sell all your stuff. (laughs) Let's talk schedules. Genesis 2 Verses two to three, it says this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Rest. It's right there. In the very beginning of the story, God rested. Rest. And you know what? God didn't just rest. He commanded us to rest too. Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither for you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now there's three types of people 
And I, I don't say that casually. I just, I've heard enough things over the years that there's like three categories of people I want to tell you about really quick that engage the Sabbath. The first one's this. There's always people looking for a loophole, right? Talk about the Sabbath. You always have, you always have the guy who says, oh, honey, I can't help with the kids. It's the Sabbath day. Didn't you hear Pastor Nick read that scripture? I can't do anything with our sons and our daughters. That's wrong. The Sabbath day is not an excuse, okay? Then you always have another type of person who wants to make it about a certain day of the week. It's got to be this day. I'm a Christian, so my Sabbath day is Sunday. That's when I go to church. For sure, it's Sunday. And then you have some people who, you know, they know a little bit about the history of things. Like, oh, no, actually, the real Sabbath day is Saturday. And so Saturday, and I know more than you about the Sabbath day, so I'm right and you're wrong. Sabbath is Saturday. And I want to tell you, it's not about a day of the week, all right? If you're getting caught up in a day of the week, then you're getting caught up in the wrong thing, okay? It can be fun for us to talk about. We can have great conversations about the day of the week it is. But if you're caught up in that, you're missing the point. And then there's the people that always want to judge those who are working on the Sabbath day, Sunday. And when I was in high school, I was a waiter, And I was a waiter at a restaurant just down the street from this church, okay? And I remember working many Sundays, and the church rush would come in. All sorts of people who wanted to judge you for working on a Sunday, who then would come to a restaurant where there were people who had to serve and make food and all sorts of stuff for them. And you know, sometimes they told you straight up to your face, you're you at a church, why are you working? And other times, you know how they told you? And the way they tip. (laughs) Anybody here who's worked in the service industry knows what I'm talking about. Christians, come on. Churchgoers, come on. We shouldn't be the worst tippers, all right? God taught us a better way than working constantly. He taught us a better way of packing, than packing our schedules. He showed us a better way when he created the universe. And he's been waiting patiently for us to understand that the Sabbath is put in place to remind you that God didn't create human doings. He created human beings. Okay? So when's the last time that you honored God by taking some space? When's the last time you honored God by taking rest? By setting aside, setting aside on purpose time in your schedule not to work, but to honor God with that time. You are not a human doing. Get that through your head this morning. You are a human being. When asked his name, God responded with, I am. When you are asked who you are, in so many places, the way you respond is, oh, hi, I'm Nick, I'm a pastor. We respond right away with the thing that we do, but we're not human doings, we're human beings. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, can you be content not to do? Because God has asked you to rest. Let's talk about our possessions. This is the one everybody's worried about. So here's the deal. I'm going to make this really clear this morning. It's not about your stuff. All right? Your stuff isn't the problem. It's your heart. All right? It's our heart. 
That which is in your heart will come out in your life. We just talked about the fruit in the tree, right? It comes out all over our lives. God calls us to give generously. He calls us to give generously with our money, with our time, with our gifts. He calls us to give generously to the church and outside the church. He calls us to give generously to those in need. When we see a need, we should be a people who rush to meet the need. Not out of obligation. <laughs> we, should, we should answer it, shouldn't we? <laughs> Hello, you're on speaker. Um, we should rush to meet needs, not out of obligation, but out of a love to look more like Jesus. Okay? John, 1 John 3.17 says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It's a combo. Okay? Words and deed and faith. These two things go hand in hand together. And you might say, Nick, I can't really give generously. I just don't have the means to do that. I understand. I totally understand. All right? But I think God makes a way when you have the will to do it. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul said, he said, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. I mean, for the people that are stealing in his community, in the Ephesus community, he's saying, don't steal anymore. Go get a job so that you can help people who are in need. That's fascinating to me, right? Where there is a will, there is a way. You wanna serve in some way? Maybe you're right. Maybe you can't make the financial contribution to help somebody, but you got some gifts? You got some time on your hands? I bet there's a way that you can serve the people in the world and the church around you. We all have something to give. When I was the associate pastor at a different church, we started a small network of house churches. And it, eventually it grew into quite a few people, but these groups started out with young adults. That was their primary intention. So we're talking college age kids. And I remember vividly one night, we are sitting in my living room, wrapping up our service, and we asked for prayers. And this one young woman shared that she's been having this really tough month. And she had no idea how in the world she was going to cover her car insurance. Without anything being said, and again, this, isn't, this is a much smaller community. It's a, it's a house church. A young man got up, a young man who's a full-time college student, who also worked at Wise when he wasn't in school, who had a whole lot going on, got up, walked over, pulled out his checkbook, and said, how much? I can't teach that kind of generosity. That's buried deep within someone's heart to see a need and meet a need. But that's what I want to be. I can't stand up here and share an example that I've been that guy. That's why I'm sharing about my friend who was that guy. I want to look more like him because he looked a whole lot like Jesus in that moment. We should be a people who are known for our generosity. And yeah, <laughs> I know some of you are thinking, but there are some people who want to take advantage. I know. I get it. Use your head. Be wise. 
Have discretion. But guys, don't let it jade you. Be generous in spirit. Be known for your generosity. It's not possessions that are the problem. It's being unwilling to be generous with what we have. It's choosing money and stuff over God's call on your life. Let's talk about our speech. Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Ephesians 4.25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. This may seem like a no-brainer to you, but you shouldn't lie. Lying complicates your life, big time. When we weave webs of deceit and lies, we have to figure out who did we tell what thing. We have to keep track of it. It creates stress in us to remember, oh, I told this person this thing. I told this person this thing. You know what's easier? Not lying. Being yourself. Not stretching the truth. Being honest. Guys, be yourself. God created you the way you are for a very good reason. Don't lie about who you are. Live into who God wants you to be. Be honest. There's another area of our, of our speech that we should talk about too. And Jesus mentions this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. I want to read an excerpt. Again, there's this book about our core values. I want to read an excerpt from the book written by a woman named Esther Spurrier. And she was one of the incredible women that we had present this past Friday. It was awesome to see her. She recently retired as a missionary from Zambia. And she writes this. Jesus reminds us to be clear and direct with our yeses and nos. We shouldn't need to complicate our speech with protestations of honesty to those whom we haven't always been straightforward with or with jargon that keeps others from understanding, with ways of wording things that mislead or cloud an issue or with reasons or excuses. When I lived in Zambia, I came to realize that when someone asked me for something, all they expected in response was a simple yes or no. I didn't need to come up with a reason, explanation, or excuse. These are things that our society expects especially if we're refusing a request. And you may think that sounds too easy, but I have found that this practice forced me to consider more carefully what God would have me do with regard to these requests. I love Esther's thoughts on this. Rather than putting our time and our effort and our energy into coming up with an excuse to say no, just say no. And if you're so worried about being judged for saying no, then maybe you should be talking to God a bit more about whether you should be saying yes or no. Let's stop putting our energy into making excuses. Let's put our energy into determining what God actually wants us to do. All right, last part. We're talking about our church. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We are meant to be an example to the world around us. And a lot of times when we talk about this particular passage, we talk about it as an individual. We talk about the lamp. You are a lamp, right? But before it says that you are a lamp, it talks about a city. It talks about a town on a hill. 
as a community, we are also a light to the world. And we lead by example. And what we as a church choose to put our energy and our time and our effort and our money into shows the world around us not just what our community values, but what they think God also values because we represent him. When people meet the bride of Christ, it tells them a lot about the groom, does it not? We're meant to be an example. In the core value book, there's a whole section called Uncluttering the Church uncluttering the church. The BIC historically have had incredibly simple buildings and really uncluttered worship spaces. And we don't have simple buildings because we can't build a more complicated building. We're capable of that. And we don't have uncluttered worship spaces because we can't cram more in here. We keep our buildings simple and we keep our worship spaces uncluttered so that you and I can focus on the thing that matters most there and here. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we want our focus to be on these two things. When you come here, when you come to a brother in Christ church, we want to allow you to focus on one another. It's why we shake hands in the morning. It's why we have greeters. It's why we try to go around and be so friendly, because we matter as a community, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as fellow believers, and for those who are coming for the very first time and they're not believers and they're not brothers and sisters yet, we usher them in because we take the time to love and engage them. We want to focus on one another and we want to focus on what Jesus has done because Jesus has paved the way for us through his sacrifice on the cross. And so we value uncluttered spaces and simple buildings so that we don't get distracted by all these other things. Our focus is on the right stuff. Now, let me say one word about the future. Most churches that you go to, if they still use a bulletin, will give you a bulletin full of activities and groups and events. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, so don't hear me say that. Unless your church has so many activities that people don't know what to attend and where to plug in. Unless your church has so many activities that it can't find enough volunteers to run them well or safely. Unless your church relies on the same volunteers for so long that you burn out those volunteers. Eventually, you don't have activities and groups and events to put in your bulletin. You may have noticed the Kenoi Church has been going through a season of not having so many activities and groups and events. We'd like to come out of that season. And we hope that you do too. And we want to begin not by cluttering up the church calendar with a whole bunch of stuff. We want to choose a few very important things as a start for our community. Things like Sunday school and small groups. But here's the deal. We're not going to do that at the expense of you. Then we're missing the point. 
If we don't have the people to make these things happen, then we can't do it because the last thing we're going to do is lead by example in the way we burn our people out. I refuse to be that sort of example and you should refuse to be that example too because there is a better way. And God in the very beginning showed us that there is a time for rest and there is a time for work. I hope that you are with me in being a light on a hill of the kind of church that chooses wisely the things that it puts out as its mission, the things that it it chooses to make its time and energy and people and resources about. Let us be a church that is a light on a hill of the right things and not of the things that are burning people out. I don't want Kanoi to be known as the place that you can go and have good worship and a good message, but they'll burn you out if you get involved. I want to take care of our volunteers. I want to love on them, pour into them, raise them up, give them rest. But if we want more people to be coming and being involved in our community to grow, at some point, we need to start beginning these things once again, which is why we have a volunteer sign-up sheet over at that bulletin board, because here are some ways that we are actively trying to start these again. And I hope that you are with me in that. Living simply is something that we need each other to do. Okay? This is something that we need to be on the same page about. So as we close here in prayer, what I want to do is ask you to join me in prayer. Not just praying for the strength to live simply ourselves, but praying for the future of our church the future of our community, that we would choose to be a light on a hill for Jesus. Not for burnout, not for letting people slip through the cracks, but for choosing to focus on the right stuff. Let's pray. Hi, this is Pastor Nick. Thanks for listening. I hope something that you heard today was very helpful. If you want to connect with us further, feel free to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or our website. KanoiChurch.org. Sure, I'm glad we're in this together. Thank you.